This episode is brought to you by Challengers Comics and Conversation. Go to challengerscomics.com and start the conversation now. Daniel's Law LLC in Georgia. Visit dlawllc.com. Kerberos Productions. The minds behind the games enter the pit and kaiju a go-go. Search for Kerberos, K-E-R-B-E-R-O-S, on Steam, or go to kerberos-productions.com to check out their growing catalog of titles. Hey there, CrossRip listeners. Troy here. We're giving you a special bonus episode this week because uh, a lot of you have probably seen that Kate McKinnon is making some headlines in Vulture and Refinery and a lot of other places uh, where they're singling out this one single quote from the Athena Film Festival where Paul Feig was an honoree and the two of them did a Q&A. And, uh, you know, we thought it would be really fun to do some excerpts from that Q&A here for you guys. I really stress that you should check out their website, athenafilmfestival.com, for the entire live stream, but here now is an edited version of that entire Q&A with a lot of great Ghostbusters discussion and a lot of funny stuff with Paul Feig and Kate McKinnon. This year is a really special year. You're all here, and I'm honored to introduce a special person. Um, we have Kate McKinnon here with us this evening. I mean, I'm supposed to read her bio, but I, you know, like I don't think the bio does justice to what this woman does for all of us, for making women visible on Saturday Night Live, for showing us the possibilities for being unbelievably hysterical all the time to just balls to the wall. And um, I just want to appreciate you. She lives, she grew up on Long Island too, so you know, we have that connection. But we all know, yes, I did grow up on Long Island. Um, she has entertained viewers with her critically acclaimed impressions of hopefully to be president of the United States, Hillary Rodham Clinton. As well as other notable impressions, including Justin Bieber and Ellen DeGeneres. So, um, but, you know, she's going to be in Ghostbusters, that little movie that's coming out this summer. Just a little bit of a movie. So I'm just going to bring her up here to introduce our special guest of the evening to you. Yes, please. Wow. That was really nice, thank you. I was not expecting that. Excuse me while I reach into my women's garment. My brassiere. Oh, wow, what a room of um, mostly female faces and thank you to the men who have braved this 
estrogen-laden event. Give yourselves a round of applause. Thank you, Katie and Melissa, for putting this incredible thing together and for inviting me to be here today. Um, I went to Columbia and I majored in theater here at Barnard, so I, I remember it. And thank you to this amazing institution. I'd like to say not thank you to the former security guard at the 620 dorm who was such a dick about letting people in if you didn't have your ID, even though he knew me. He saw me every day. <clears throat> um, I have stories. Anyway, on to um, the man of the hour, Paul Fig, is it? Um, Fig, Fig, never quite sure. Um, those of you who know him know that he has dressed down today. He's wearing his pajamas. He's wearing... He dresses fancy. Paul Feig, dapper, kind, gentle, hilarious. My interest in him is primarily sexual, but I will try to stick to <sighs> speaking about him as an artist. Um, you know, uh, nothing normalizes the new quite like seeing it on screen. A culture can change its mind about something almost subconsciously after they just see it in a movie or on TV a few times in something that doesn't really call attention to it. And um, often the media slugs behind social progress, only catching up when it's fiscally safe to do so. But sometimes artists will claw tooth and nail to present a progressive vision, which then inspires reality to follow suit. And um, Paul Feig is one of these revolutionary artists. We might as well call him Paul Revere Feig. <laughs> that was a joke written by a professional comedian <laughs> in the car on the way here. Um, I, I know about, I knew about Paul from being a diehard Bridesmaids and Heat and Spy fan. And then after looking him up on IMDb, realized that he directed some of my favorite episodes of television, The Office, Arrested Development. Uh, the list goes on. Um, Nurse Jackie. Um, and then I, I had the pleasure of meeting him when he did me the greatest favor a person could ever do, which is to make uh, someone a Ghostbuster. If I, if I have, in fact, made the movie. Like, if I haven't been edited completely out of it, I don't know. <laughs> He's doing it now, so... Remember that I'm being nice to you up here. Um... You know, we filmed it in uh, Boston over the summer, and the best part of the summer was getting to wear uh, a jumpsuit. And I wore pants the whole time, and my hair was up in this insane thing the whole time. Not one hair on my neck, uh, sort of like how I'm dressed now, like the opposite of that. And that was the best um, thing about the summer. And this, it sounds like a small thing that I got to wear pants and have my hair up, but it's actually 
um, a really big thing because we were playing scientists, women playing scientists wearing jumpsuits, kind of ugly jumpsuits, and they made dolls of this. This is, that, that, that has never happened before. Action figures of women scientists in jumpsuits. First time. No cleavage. Dolls of this. And while we were filming, Paul would um, sometimes release pictures of how things were going and the costumes we were wearing. And then we'd get a, um, a wonderful email from him whenever someone would tweet back a picture of their daughter rocking a Ghostbusters jumpsuit and a proton pack, which happened a lot. Um, and it's, you know, it's sweet and it's cute, but it's also like um, actually quite new and quite huge that something like that would happen. This morning I Googled girls Halloween costume and I can tell you with scientific certainty that those jumpsuits will be the only girls Halloween costumes available this October that include pants. So <laughs> give it up for that. Um, okay, I'm good. from now on I'm on script. Paul has, so bear with me, Paul has let women be tough cops, CIA operatives, and lovable drunken flailing losers, among a lot of other stuff. Uh, Paul, but Paul's heartfelt and hilarious films have no political agenda. They are just wonderful, timeless movies, and he has certainly cemented himself in the pantheon of great regular directors. Um, but his most revolutionary act has not been just in casting women as scientists and badasses. We've seen that before-ish. <laughs> no, his true subversion lies in creating female protagonists who are striving for the universal goals of friendship, connectedness, justice, and personal growth. These um, golden fleeces have always been the sole province of male protagonists. They don't call it an everyman for nothing. Um, and by building stories around female protagonists who are striving not for romance, but simply to become their best selves, he has permanently changed the game for us all. <laughs> okay, now, please, so thank you, Paul. Please welcome a man I'm proud to call my friend to his face and my new daddy to everyone else, Paul Fee. Kate McKinnon, jeez. Oh my, what, for me? Why, thank you, thank you so much. Oh my God, this is so nice. This is, and so breakable. <laughs> I'm terrified. God. Um, Kate, thank you so much. You, that really choked me up, and, and it's, it's very, very kind of you. I, it, all I can say is when you see Ghostbusters, this woman will destroy you. She is so funny. <laughs> Talk about a force of nature. You're still in the movie, Kate. <laughs> now you're really still in the movie. <laughs> that lovely speech. No. Um, I, I'm... 
thank you so much. We're going to do a Q and A, and and which I look forward to because I'm a terrible speech giver, and I apologize. Um, I just want to say first that just thank you so much to the Athena Film Festival and to Barnard College. This is I can't begin to tell you how much this means to me, this honor, and to be the first first man <laughs> to get to do it. it. It my whole life has been about about. Funny women. I, I ever since I was a kid, all my I had a lot of bullies, and, uh, and I, I did. And so it always like, oh, the, the the girls over here are so nice and they're so funny. Let's just hang with them, and I don't have to get punched and called homophobic names. <laughs> and when you got a name like Feig, you know, it just comes with the territory. Uh, and it just kind of grew from there. And I just find women so wonderfully funny, and the humor of women is so just great to me because it's fun and it's supportive and it's and it's not ugly and and you know guys can get very you know aggressive I don't know it's it's, it's silly I just I we'll talk about this too I, this is such a terrible speech um <laughs> I, I wrote something down too which I'll get to um but uh but it, it just really means a lot to me because um I, I just I'm so committed to wanting to have portrayals of women on screen that that they've been denied for so long. And it really came from just years of seeing the funniest women I knew stuck being the bitchy girlfriend and being the mean wife or, you know, and, and like all the guys I knew were getting to be hilarious. And like, you know, I'd see there's Sarah Silverman pops up in a movie and you're like, she's hilarious. And then why is she not getting, why does she not have one joke and she's mean or Rachel Harris shows up in the, you know, in the hangover and she's just the most shrewish character you've ever seen in your life. It's like, what, who, whose image of women is this? And it, it's what I like to call kind of the little boy's image of what a woman is, which is, you know, it's either mom who's mean to you and so well, we don't want to hang out with her. She ruins our good time. And then my girlfriend, she won't let me hang out with my douchebag friends, so she's terrible. <laughs> you know, and then your wife, like, you've got to be home. And so that, that all comes out on screen. And it's a worldview. It is a view of some people, and it has been represented plenty, but I'm tired of that worldview, and I'm, and I'm tired of seeing these women not get to be funny, you know, to not let Kate McKinnon be a hero on screen and to be kicking ass and to be a smart scientist who's coming up with crazy technology and still is getting to be hilarious and have all kinds of foibles and, and, and just get to just be who she is, is criminal. And, and it's so much with all the other women that I get to work with and so many other women who I haven't worked with yet. I mean, you know, I wish I could make more movies and I wish the movies didn't take so long to make so that we could do more and more. And, um, you know, but it, it's really important to me to just encourage Hollywood, encourage filmmakers I know, encourage the studios to do this. I'm finally at a point in my career, just finally, where I might have a little bit more power, where I can actually possibly start producing movies. And so my focus has always been on in front of the camera and getting women in front of the camera. But now I want to catch up with women behind the camera and really start to, to get that going. And, and I'm trying to put together... Yeah. And working with colleges and working with, you know, to, to, to not only bring up new talent, but there's so many talented 
female directors who aren't working. And you see they'll do a hit movie and then they'll have one follow-up that's bad and suddenly they're in movie jail, whereas guys will get broken out of movie jail and, you know, or have more shots. And, it, and it's just, it's, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it in detail. But anyway, I, I just, it, it's really now, I, I really want to make sure that we have parity in front of and behind the camera because look, women are 50% of the world. It should be reflected in front of and behind the camera. And so we're going to do everything we can to make that happen. Um, I'm not going to read my speech. Uh, um, so uh, I guess we're going to do a Q&A now. This is, aren't I, so I ended that poorly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Kate is going to join us. And we are honored today that Belinda Lescombe from Time Magazine um, has given her evening to be with us. She is an editor-at-large of Time and writes about science, economy, and the insanity of relationships, those conducted at home, work, or in cyberspace. I like that. Since lots of movies, books, and TVs and sh TV shows are about that, she writes about those too. She's been at Time since 1995. We very much appreciate you being with us this evening, and thank you so much. Thank you. So for you young people in the audience, Time Magazine is the one with the red border around it. <laughs> it uh, comes on paper we, we, and the web, of course. So um, I'm from the media, and if you were a woman, of course, the first question I would ask, Mr. Feig, is who are you wearing? <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm wearing Ralph Lauren. <laughs> that I paid for, so I don't know quite know why I'm giving them a plug. But <laughs> <laughs> So you're the kind of person a lot of, uh, a lot of writers hate because you write, you direct, you have acted. I don't know if there's still something you're Someone's pursuing. Yeah. Um, you've created a beloved, iconic TV show, one of Time Magazine's 100 best TV shows of all time. So I guess the first question is, did you always know, as the saying goes, that you wanted to direct? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was, I really, yeah, I, I, I always wanted to be an actor, but early on kind of started seeing, you know, like Woody Allen and those people and go like, oh, you can actually write and direct and still be in front of the camera. And so kind of wanted to move my way towards that and tried that for a long time. I went to film school, kind of with the, the intention of doing that, but then... As an actor, I was very limited. Uh, you know, I had this thing I could, you know, be the goofy guy or whatever, and that was fun. But I didn't. I felt like I, I was seeing so many projects at the same time. With again, with people I knew in them, they weren't as good, or those people weren't getting to do what I knew they could be funny doing. And it was more that feeling of like, I think I'd be better off behind the camera because I think I can put make those people better and put the best them on screen. And so. And, and I never look back, and I've just been so happy ever since I, I, I stopped doing it. So. so let's get right into the weeds. Um, one of the things that we always talk about with women in leadership is... Um, no, we're Eight. good. We're good. You can be in a minute. No? No, no, I think we're good. <laughs> one of the things they always talk about with women in leadership is an unwillingness to speak up, so I guess... <laughs> Switch with me, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Not now. <laughs> um, is that, and this is true for uh, directors, comedians, writers, is that those roles uniquely require a 
at appetite for risk. And one of the things that studies seem to have shown is that women tend to be sometimes more risk averse. And I wonder how much you think of your job as, a, as the leading man of, in, in, in this award is to sort of inspire confidence in women. Well, uh, I mean, it, it, it's more from the, that just idea that I wasn't seeing them portrayed well, and I wasn't seeing them get the opportunities that they should have. Um, and so that's really been my only goal, is just, because you, you see it happen, it's a self-perpetuating thing that happens in Hollywood. Nobody, in, there's no conspiracy in Hollywood to keep women out of movies and all that. It's just this, the banality of evil, you know? It's kind of, it's just the way, you know, oh, it has to be the man, and you know, I've had, I've had producers, you know, sit with me and go like, you gotta be careful, you don't wanna get pigeonholed into being, you know, a woman's filmmaker, and it's like, well, why? First of all, you know, and it's like, but then they would tell you these business reasons. They go, these movie starring women do not sell internationally. There is not a market for them internationally. You know, other countries won't go to see it. So, so everybody sits around and goes like, well, I guess we can't do it. And I just got so tired of hearing that. It's like, well, why don't we try to fix that? You know, and, and so, you know, especially when, you know, I mean, honestly, after Bridesmaids, I mean, The Heat and then Spy and then now Ghostbusters, you know, these are bigger movies that have elements that I knew could would appeal just on a movie-going level. You know, there's action. There's, you know, now there's special effects. There's all this stuff. And it's spectacle because that's what, foreign audiences will go to see. And I don't even know if they're like, I'm just not gonna see anything with women. And it's like, I just, I just wanted to figure out how do we make it irresistible so they will go see this and then they're sitting there and go like, hey, those people are really great on the screen, you know, and not even think about their women or not. And then maybe it'll start to break down that wall and then we'll have more examples of, no, those movies do make money so then they can stop that bullshit excuse and you can finally get, you know, it, we can move towards parody, which is all we want to do. And, and so I just got tired of hearing business reasons and that for being the gospel for why you can't do something. Well, now that you've blown up that theory, um, <laughs> I was going to ask, Kate, you, you are somebody who's obviously not risk averse. <laughs> <laughs> You're up. Um, you, you get out there every Saturday night and you, I, I like eggs to the keg better than walls, balls to the wall myself, but... Um, <laughs> Well, thank you for that. If we've um, learned nothing else today. <laughs> and, you, and you are live, the most terrifying things in the world, live, yet in front of millions of people who will be judging you on social media the next day. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a terrifying prospect. How did you develop that sort of mental toughness to be able to do it? Um, well, Saturday Night Live is, in particular, is um, just horrifying in that, in that respect. But it also, the nature of that is that it allows you to experience something on a Tuesday or Wednesday and then talk about it with that audience a few days later. And um, that's why the show is live and that's why it stayed fresh for 40 years. And... Um, there's no greater gift as a comedian and as a person who wants to talk about stuff that's going on than um, to do a live weekly show. So, gosh, I mean, I, I get so nervous every time, but it's like, 
I do feel like I get to connect with people about things that are that everyone is talking about anyway that are important to me and I get to say something about them and be part of the conversation and that is the greatest gift and so I just you know take drugs when I need it. <laughs> I'm kidding, I don't. <laughs> And can I just say one more thing about, because I realize I didn't, I didn't hit the idea of the risk aversion with women. And I, I, I think that's a myth because I think humans in general are risk averse, <laughs> you know. And what it is is if you are drawn to go into storytelling, into showbiz, into this and that, you switch that side. You, you, that side of you is overridden by ambition, desire to tell stories, desire to get your voice out there. And I, the women I've encountered, I mean, they're, every, they're so balls to the wall, or, or your turn, which I like, uh, that there's just no stopping them. And that, to me, is that's almost why it's even more gutting when I saw, and I still see, obviously, women not getting the chance to do what they want to do because you see them so desperate to do it as are men who are desperate to do it. And so that's why, you know, so, so, so I, it's there. The passion's there. The people who want to do it are not afraid of it, and they just need the opportunity to do it. Yes. So how did you come up for the, with the idea of the all-female Ghostbusters? Uh, you know, it, it was, it, I was approached um, when I was doing Spy, first by Ivan Reitman, uh, who had his script that was the sequel to, to Ghostbusters, for, to the first two, and I, and, and, I, and I was so honored they would ask. And then I read it, and I was just like, I don't know, it just felt weird as a sequel. It's too many years, you know, it's been 25 years, and also I knew Bill didn't want to do it, and Harold, who I knew, had passed away. And it just, it just felt wrong. And also, it's such canon to all of us in, in comedy that it was just like, I don't know if I want to step into that. But then they kind of kept coming to me, and then I, Amy Pascal, uh, when she was still in charge of Sony, unfairly fired, by the way, um, they wouldn't do that to a man. Uh, um, it was, you know, I'm telling you. I swear I'm not looking to get applause breaks, but it just, there's a lot of bullshit going on in this town, uh, in that town. <laughs> um, but she really pressed me and said, like, this is great franchise, you know, and I, and I love it so much. I was like, well, okay, let's think about it. Like, okay, it, it is great. Funny people fighting the paranormal with, with science is a great thing. So I was like, okay, how would I do it? How would I do it? I was like, well, wait, like one of those simple answers, you go like, wait, all the funny women I know, if I could put them in it, and if I just kind of rebooted it and started it again so we can have origin stories of these, these new women, that's exciting to me. And I called Amy, and she, within two seconds, said, like, let's do it. I want to do it. And, you know, so I really credit her for being the one that really, you know, jumped on board that. And uh, then we just never looked back. And, um, you know, we've taken, <laughs> taken, taken some heat in the, on the Internet, that fine, fine forum for <laughs> people who live in their basements. Uh, you know, and look, there's, there's plenty have legitimate complaints about a reboot and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, the amount of misogyny that, that t came at me, especially in the, in the beginning of it, was just really shocking and an eye-opener. And, you know, and I mean, you know, the, I don't know if you know about the whole Gamergate thing that went down with these, you know, these female I video this game. Crowd, this crowd probably knows. Yeah, that. yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, you know, not, you hear about that and you go like, oh, that must be bad, but how bad could it be? Just the little bit I got on my end as a guy, it's horrendous. I mean, it is such, you know, the, the fact that they're trying to get the laws against this, they should, because, you know, I'm all for free speech, but this, this is targeted 
harassment. This is this is ugliness on a level I've never seen. And so that, you know, I don't know it, it's just, it, it's kind of unbelievable. You always have to pinch yourself and go like, wow, we're really living and now it's 2016 and this is going on. And the, the anonymity of the internet just allows it to happen. So. <laughs> Did that, that, so that was a surprise to you, the sort of... It was a huge surprise to me because I was basically like, when I came to the ad, I go like, oh, this is so great. Like, uh, this will be, who wouldn't be happy about this? <laughs> like, like, a you know, lamb to the slaughter and I got to write this thing out. <laughs> and what always happens with the internet is the first wave, the first day is overwhelmingly positive. Just people are so happy and they're so this and that. And then it's that second wave that comes in. You're like, oh, oh my God. And that first day when that wave started coming in, it's like, oh, it was chilling. Um, it didn't make me sad that I had done it. It made me actually happy that I was doing this because I realized there's a problem. But it's really, it, it, it is unbelievable what, what happens. A lot of it comes from outside of London for some weird reason. I don't know why. I'm I, I'm British on my mother's side, and some really Essex and Sussex and all. They, there's some really angry guys there. So I don't know. Maybe it's in the beer. I find it really helps to imagine them in their footed pajamas. <laughs> exactly. And their transformer sheets. That's what it is. <laughs> Sometimes, honestly, the worst ones. This was. I don't want to go on a tirade against the internet, but it's just the stuff that I can tell you from a year and a half of abuse is, you know, you go like, yeah, it's a bunch of like nerds or what, it's some like weird teenage boys in their basement. Half the time I'd go and I'd click on the thing because I always want to go see who the person is. As Katie Dippold says, it's always, it's, their avatar is always like a demon or something. <laughs> horrible. But then you go and it's like proud father of two daughters, I mean, sometimes I'd get attacked by guys would have, they literally would say two daughters and I'm, it's like, what, who the, get those kids out of that house. (laughs) Anyway, but they don't, you know, they're they're such a small small minority that why am I giving them any power? (laughs) (laughs) So Kate, the the female players on Saturday Night Live this season have been so kicking it. Um, Well, thanks. As a, as a long-time SNL viewer, whenever I see you and, oh gosh, I'm going to leave them out, Leslie and Cecily and Aidy and Vanessa and Ishoshia, when, when I see you come, I'm like, this is going to be so good. Um, and I wonder, uh, do you think the stake has finally been put in the heart of the myth that women aren't as funny? <laughs> There's that question. <laughs> um... I I think we're about to the we're about through the last ventricle of that <laughs> heart. Yeah. Thanks to thanks in large part to the efforts of Paul. I, I mean, I think Paul has truly and I'm not just saying this to blow hot smoke up your ass, but I'm saying this because Bridesmaids really was a a revolutionary thing. There was no movie like that before it. And I I truly, um, you couldn't have women be the leads of a movie. You couldn't have a women's-led movie that wasn't um, specifically a rom-com about a relationship. And there happens to be, you know, they do it in the movie, but it's not about, it's about female friendship. And um, that, had, that had really not happened before. I remember seeing this poster with all these women on it and just being like, oh my God, it's happening. 
we're, we're winning. <laughs> um, and I think since then, you've started to see more and more of that. And that was really a watershed for um, female comedians. And I, I think it has trickled down to SNL as well. And my friends there are, happen to be very funny. And, you know. well, <laughs> here, here. And half of them are, most of them are in the movie, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Leslie and Cecil. So, yeah. <clears throat> was the success of Bridesmaid a surprise to you? Um, kind of. I didn't want it to be a surprise. because You know, you never go into a movie going like, I don't think this will do very well. You know? <laughs> but it, it had been so drummed into my head of kind of, well, it was a weird, I don't I, tell this as short as I can. You know, it came up, Judd came to me, you know, because I, I, years, like at least three years earlier, they did a table read of it, and, and Chris and I had cast in, in her very first role in this fine film called Unaccompanied Minors that you don't hear given tribute to here, which, thank God, it's, it's, it's whatever, it's a kid's movie. It's a Christmas movie. But, um, so I went to that, that table read, and I, you know, and I, through Freaks and Geeks and all that, I, it was so important to me to try to create really good female roles, and suddenly here's this table with all these women at it. It was like, oh my God, this is the opportunity. This is where we can put all these funny women and we can find all these funny women and have this thing go on, you know, to make this movie. And then it kind of the project kind of went on the rocks for a few years. And then when it came back, um, you know, I jumped into it. And, you know, just that feeling of like, let's just, we got to do it now. I got to get all these funny women. So we did, and we get into production. And right when we're kind of in production, I started hearing stories from women writers that I know who are pitching female-led projects around town. And what they're getting from all the executives is we have to wait and see how Bridesmaids does. And it was literally... So no pressure. Yeah, no pressure whatsoever. So then I go like, wait a minute. So if I just, if I'm a shitty filmmaker and make a shitty movie about women, that means... It's it for women. They never get to be in a movie anymore. And that's when you go like, that's how fucked the town is. That it's gotten to this point where this is such a groundbreaking thing. It should not be a groundbreaking thing to put women in a movie. And yet the fact that it was, is, and, and, and it didn't used to be that way. I mean, look at the movies of the 30s and the 40s. You know, these strong, I hate the word, I hate strong female, I hate the term strong female role because it implies she has to be. I want good. I want great female roles, and you have these great female roles where they're complete equals to the men. You know, like His Girl Friday is one of my favorites. I mean, Rosalind Russell and Carrie Grant going back and forth. That's great, and those kind of movies. And you got Barbara Stanwyck and Irene Dunn, and all these you know amazing women. Catherine Hepburn, uh, and so so I don't know how it got to that point, but so suddenly so there we are. Sorry, I'm digressing all over the place. So there we are making this and. Then it comes out like, so we're about to put it out. You know, we're testing really well. We're getting great tests when you test screen it and getting really high scores. But then, so the word from the studio is like, if it doesn't open over $20 million, then it's going to be considered a failure. Which is, now looking back, it's kind of bullshit because the movie only costs $32 million and now a movie will make like $12 million and they're like happy. Like, But some, they put all this added pressure on us. Like it had to be, we didn't have to just be like... A hit. We had to be like kind of for a movie that size, really blast through. So we, the, so the week coming up to it, we're tracking, which is the, how they kind of track how an audience is into a movie and if they're aware of it or not. Was not good. So we go into that morning and well, they, no, they made a mistake too. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's, so it's getting worse. I know exactly. 
They somebody decided, oh, let's do. You know how when they open a uh, like a superhero movie, they'll do Thursday night midnight show or a, uh, yeah Thursday night midnight show, and so they did one of those for bridesmaids, which on by all accounts is just a wedding movie <laughs> for ladies, and so. It just did okay at the midnight screening. So all of a sudden it's like, oh boy, there's a problem. It's like, well, who the fuck's going to go out at midnight to watch a wedding movie? Um, so then the next day, I get called. They, they can figure out, like, the first show, they'll tell you, like, you're going to make this amount of money all weekend. So I get a call from my agent. And he's like, well, the news is not good. It's looking like a $13 million weekend. I'm like, oh, God, really? And so I'm kind of walking around in the state of mourning all day. And then kind of as the day starts to go along, I call, well, it, it might be 15. You know, that's like, well, it might be 17. So I'm like, well, okay. And so then Melissa McCarthy came over to have dinner with us. And so I'm there with Ben and her and, and my wife, Lori. And, um, and suddenly the emails start coming in. Look like 19. And then it is like, looks like 20. Looks like 22, looks like 24, looks like 26. And we're just like, oh my God. So we jump in the car and drive to the theater and come in, <laughs> walk in the back, and the place is packed and it's rocking. And it was just like, that was possibly the greatest moment of my life because you're just like, oh, thank God. For a moment there, I thought you were going to say you were going to buy four more tickets. Just <laughs> oh, I'm not paying for that thing. <laughs> no, the other great thing was why we were why we ended up being such a success is we never dropped more than twenty percent ever weekend after weekend, which normally a movie will drop by half and then a half again. And so it just showed that there was such a hunger for seeing funny women in a movie that's not all about you know just falling in love and all that. And and, and so it did. It cracked the wall open, but I will say that the wall barely cracked open. Um, you know, the fact that we're celebrating, I don't forget what the statistic is for this year, there was nine movies or something like that with female leads, something like that, which that's great, but that's still embarrassing. It's still not enough. And, you know, it's happening slowly, but it's just too slowly. And that's what I just, I kind of get, gets me bananas and why it's like we just need more people doing this, we need more filmmakers doing this, we need more female filmmakers doing it, and we need more studios doing it. So so we're, we're getting there, but we shall not be patting ourselves on the back anytime soon. So it's fair to say, I think, that some of your projects met with less success than Bridesmaids. And <laughs> By what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you have said in the past that you were put in movie jail. And then you just referred to the fact that women have, you know, their jail seems to be a lot more secure. Mm -hmm. Um, and harder to get out of. <laughs> High security, yeah. And I wonder if you could explain what you think it was that got you out of movie jail so that we could maybe follow that path? Well, it, well I'll tell you exactly what got me out of movie jail was, was my old producing partner, Judd Apatow, uh, who had the power, and he had this movie, you know, this Bridesmaids, which I had been kind of tracking, and, um, and he knew that I had a very feminine sensibility and, and love female characters and, and said you would be I think you'd be the right person to do this and I couldn't get a job before that I was just you know I was back in television that was fine I was having fun on TV but I wasn't getting to make movies which is what was my dream my whole life so the fact that he gave me that shot that's what got me out and you know so it's just somebody advocating or somebody realizing somebody has been unfairly put away and pulling them out and so that's where it falls to I don't even say the studios, because the studios are not altruistic whatsoever. They're just going to go for the safest bet. They're going to go for whoever is going to make them the most money. It's, it's up to 
producers and, and, and people like that to go, oh, let's this person did something great. And even if they go like, well, that then they did a movie after that that wasn't good, let's talk to them. Let's sit down with them. Let's hear their vision for this and give them another shot. So, I mean, that's really, it's all about opportunity. That's all it is. Which brings me to, Kate, you, uh, Saturday Night Live is obviously a great opportunity. I think it was Chris Rock who said, nobody leaves Saturday Night Live less famous than when they started. <laughs> and yet... <laughs> and yet, it does seem to have been a better launching pad for the male comics than the female comics. If we look at Tina and Amy and Kristen, there are exceptions, obviously, and, but those are quite recent. Is somebody in your position strategizing? What, you know, how do you think, okay, now I've got TK, however many years of Saturday Night Live left, and now I need to find a, a Paul or I need a, my next lawn? Like, what in the same way that Judd rescued Paul, is there somebody that you are trying, you know, are you looking for somebody? Is that is that the secret? Um, well, yes, I mean, uh, it, it's Paul, <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> by, <laughs> it's clearly Paul. <laughs> Paul, um, Paul did me and Leslie what they call in French a huge f***ing favor. <laughs> Not a favor, trust me. You did me a favor. No, but by, but by giving, uh, giving me and Leslie this, uh, the magnitude of the opportunity that he gave the both of us cannot be quantified in this, un using the numbers of um, this universe's math system. It's like, um, <laughs> He, uh, yes, the goal, the goal after Saturday Night Live is both an end in itself and the, uh, an incredible job and an incredible practice, um, but it also is hopefully a launching pad for a career in other venues and um, yes, it does come down to opportunity and you need... Uh, artists need patrons and artists need people to champion them and um, he certainly did that for me and um, I just remember I remember hearing that this was happening Ghostbusters and I instantly was like oh well I have to that's the only thing I could be cast in because I'm not uh, I don't feel like I could play uh, a regular you know gal in a rom-com that would be a big joke um, I wanted to be a woman in a business suit or a woman in a, uh, a jumpsuit who's um, a real character and there, I've, I read a lot of scripts it's just not there there's not people are not writing women that are anything other than just you know normal cute women it's it's starting to happen more and more but so I heard about this and I was like this I have to I have to be in it this is the this is the only thing that I could do and so thanks oh, please. <laughs> well, let me let me just say I, I do nobody any favors trust me I only hire people if they are awesome and you and Leslie my god you are such comedic powerhouses and, and uh, no, thank you for thank you for gracing my little project with your immense talents. 
And Kate is the greatest person on the face of the earth, dude. She is the most loving, sweet. Do you want to go to the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lori. <laughs> I'm kidding. The funniest thing about doing this movie, though, is trying to make you play yourself. Oh, yeah. We had a, I was like, uh, Paul, can I use a Russian accent? Paul, can I? What sketch character will I do in this movie? Because I was, and he said, no, you have to do, you have to play yourself and you just have to act. Well, you're as just yourself. so funny. And, and I was like, who is that? What, what would that be? And it was a process of self-discovery, but that's another conversation for another time. (laughs) You've had an incredibly productive partnership with Melissa McCarthy as well. How did you find her? Gosh, it was... The weird thing is, you know, I've been in comedy for a long time and have cast and looked at everybody. Somehow I had never seen Melissa McCarthy. Not a Gilmore Girls fan, then. Not up until we... Not up until we were casting Bridesmaids. I'd never seen Gilmore Girls. I'd never seen uh, the other uh, Samantha Who that she was on. And... And I mean, it's crazy because like a comedy soulmate, like you would think he would know, but we were trying to cast that role of Megan and you know, we saw a bunch of really talented, hilarious women for that role. And just kind of was like, I don't know, it's just not quite there, not quite there. And it was one of our last auditions and I remember saying to Kristen and Annie like, I don't know, is there somebody else? And they're like, oh, you should see Melissa, our friend Melissa. She works at the Groundlings. People line up around the block whenever you know she performs. It's like, okay, why didn't you tell me about her earlier? Uh, and she came in, and it was one of those religious moments where you're kind of like, she comes in, and she starts doing this character, and it took me like 30 seconds to even realize it was funny. <laughs> Because I had seen a partic- people that did a particular take on that character, and suddenly she sits down with this kind of guyish thing, and she's doing this thing, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, that's hilarious. But then my first thing, like, that's so great, she's like playing kind of this gay character, and that's what well, that's a really fun take on this. So they said, like, well, let's do an improv, because I always like to do an improv in, in the auditions. I said, like, let's just do a thing where you're trying to get her to go out, uh, you know, out on the town with you for the night. Okay, so she starts doing that, but it's, then it turns into the whole thing, like, we're going to go out, we're going to get these guys, we're just going to tear them apart, we're going to eat them up a lot. And it just, I'm like, wait a minute. So she's heterosexual, but she's playing, and then I'm just like, okay, I'm just in. I mean, that's, we're done. <laughs> and yeah, and then, then, then we've just been, you know, just in, inspiring each other ever since. And, you know, talk about a delightful, amazing person and um, you know such an enormous talent so yeah she's she's the best how do you I know you we're talking today about women but I'm interested how do you position men in your movies when you're thinking about the movies you know the women characters have for years been the girlfriend or the shrew um, how, how do you do you do the same thing with the man oh, he's just gonna be the boy. <laughs> well I mean for me it's all about the main characters in and, and I got so tired of seeing movies that were always about, for women, you have to pick between your job and your happiness. It's like, I know so many professional women who love their jobs, and so I just went, I, I don't want to see that portrayed anymore. So weirdly, if you notice, other than Bridesmaids had a bit, none of my other movies have any romance in them whatsoever. I just, I have no interest in that for the character because I don't, that then becomes the motivation and then it becomes for the studio of like, you need more of that. So it's like, if it's just not in there, they can't even, deal with it other than trying to get me to put it in it's like I don't care about that you know for the heat it was just 
I want to do a thing about two women who love their jobs and their biggest problem against finding happiness is they haven't found other women who love their jobs as much. And so it was about, here's these two women who love their jobs and now they're friends because they can relate to each other and they can sympathize with each other and empathize and all that. And then, you know, and then from there with Spy, it was like, a woman who hasn't gotten to realize her dream because she's been held back by by a guy who has taken advantage of her very sweetly by realizing she's so smart she can make him look great and so he's kind of manipulated her into you know being his brains and he gets all the credit and then there's a situation that happens where she gets to go out there so for me it's just about what is the situation that that I can kind of tell a sort of coming of age or, or just I don't, I don't what it's not coming it's just like somebody coming into their own real self-realization if you will um and then I just kind of fit the guys around it because you know like for spies like well I needed some handsome guy who's gonna kind of you know manipulate her and then then it's like I need some you know overbearing guy who's gonna doubt her the whole time and then the amazing Jason Statham <laughs> comes along which if you haven't seen the movie you gotta, he's so great uh, oh my god to put up with what we made him say in that movie <laughs> It's really, I, I like to feel that guys are treated to the same, like the Coco treatment from fame in, in my movies that women get everywhere else. Yeah, exactly. It's like, put this pretty thing on there, fella. Get your boobs out. Get your man package out. Um, and then, you know, I just want the women to be the strong characters and, and the, the, you know, the ones that have... have that are our focus, and what we care about. It's not, you know, like, no, but favorite thing, not the internet. It's a big thing, like, when I was confusing certain people of misogyny, because they were clearly being misogynistic to me, then they started fighting back with, I was a, with misandry, and I'm suddenly a misandrist. <laughs> I hate men. It's like, I don't hate men. I just, I like, I gotta, you gotta flip the dial a little bit further one way before it then goes into the center, and so. Um, I'd love to open uh, the floor for questions, just if you would speak up. And put your hand up because I think we can bring you a mic. Hi. Um, oh, there you go. Nice. Hello. <laughs> so, uh, first, I just want to thank you once again for Freaks and Geeks. Um, and I've brought my script book. Oh, yeah. Maybe yay. if you want to sign can it. Can I again. sign it? Yeah. Well. Um, <laughs> and I, I had a sort of weird question. Um, is it sexist that I've nicknamed your movie Busty Ghosters? <laughs> <laughs> Only you can answer that question, my friend. <laughs> um, you know, I. Just wasn't sure if that would be too mean or not. You know, you call it whatever you want. Um, <laughs> if it's coming from a, a woman, I, they can say whatever they want. It's when the guys, I, it's become such an insult on the uh, internet to call it girl busters. Weirdly, that's like the the, the greatest thing they can throw at us. Oh, I'm not going to see that girl busters. Like, all right, <laughs> you're not going to see any girls in your life, I guess. <laughs> Another question. I think we have some over here. Do you want to pass the mic along? Okay, yeah, there, with the scarf. Um, I just had a question. You, either of you can address it. Um, what is the value of adaptation versus just, like, starting new stories? So, like, with Bridesmaids, it was a new kind of story, like an ensemble female cast. But with Ghostbusters, it's an adaptation. So, like, do you think the subversion is different when you're recreating something and saying, like, here's a comedy favorite. Watch these equally funny women do it better. Like... <laughs> 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 nice. <laughs> there we go. You know, I mean, that's it's, it's a really great question. Um, to me, it's all about what you think you can be the most effective 
telling the story of. And, and it's really case by case. And I don't like doing other people's properties in general, and I don't know if I'll ever do another thing like this again. Um, but it just felt like this is the, such a great showcase. And it's such a great... I don't know. It just—it just felt like I don't know. It, it just—it would—it just, was never a question in my head once I came up with it, and so you just really want the opportunity, the 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 vehicle that will give the the best opportunity for for your actors to really you know shine. And uh, but I mean, that, that, it's a really good question. I, I always I'm, I'm in favor of original stuff, uh, just because I you know you also want to tell a story you know a new story that hasn't been done before. That's why I rebooted this, so at least I wasn't kind of stuck to the old world, and I know people are, some people don't like that, but I just like an origin story, and so it just felt like a great way. I just like birthing new characters, if you will, and it felt like a great way to birth some kick-ass ladies. There, there's one of them, come on. Okay, are there some questions from this side of the room? Okay, there, all right, that's good. Like right behind Bless your heart, thank you. Um, Hi, uh, Kate. Um, there's a lot of the members of the Vasti show here today, uh, which we know <laughs> the, the rabble awakens, um, <laughs> which we know you were in, and we looked to you as a shining beacon of hope. Um, for both of you, um, you've spoken about how difficult it is to kind of, as female performers, to break into create opportunities for yourself when you're already kind of known in the industry. Um, would you have any advice for how to make these opportunities for yourself when you're kind of like an unknown college age performer writer? Um, I, congrats, I hope the show is going well. Uh, it's great, it's great on you. Um, I, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta do it, you gotta, you gotta go to. You have to go to UCB, or you have to go to Second City, or go to the Groundlings. Specifically, I mean, if you're a comedian, and just uh, pound your ass. You just have to just, just do it so much, and just keep uh, creating so much because you need to figure out what your deal is, and you can only do that after years of um, trying to do other people's deals and failing at it. Yeah, I, I, can I, if I can add to that, there's never been a better time in this Earth's history to showcase, to have the opportunity to showcase yourself because, like you say, UCB and all those places, first of all, those are places that, like, casting people go to and, you know, and, you know executives from my company are always there kind of looking for people. But with the Internet, with, you know, with an iPhone, you can make something that looks better than something I spent $30,000 on, you know, 20 years ago trying to make my own first feature. And, you know, and, and it will get out. If it's good, it will get out there. And the, I cast in The Heat. There was a, a, this kid named Spoken Reasons, and I cast him because I'd seen his YouTube channel and he made me laugh so much. I was like, I'm going to put him in a movie. And suddenly he's sitting across from Sandra Bullock. I mean, there's, you got a million opportunities. And, what you, and you're right. You just need to do it and do it and do it. You have to increase the opportunities that people are going to see you doing something because it's always the one thing you don't think they're going to see you doing on the one night that's weird or the one thing you did. That's the one that they see. So make sure everything you do is good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but just keep doing it because uh, it, cream does rise to the top. Can I just throw in a question here? On the other side of the camera, you just spoke about this before, how, how do we get more women? You know, we have now, I think, a, a, a new TV pilot season where I think one, one, yeah. one, one woman, yeah. pilot picked up was, uh, had, you know, had a woman writer. How right, do we yeah. get more 
women on that side? Is there some, some similar advice you can give to the people out here who are trying to get into that end of the business? Well, again, if you just start making stuff, because that, you know, it, it's the work that proves itself, but then, this, I mean, this is, a, this is a big issue and a big topic, and, and, and there's no easy answers for it. I think, I do think one of the best things happening in Hollywood right now is this class action lawsuit against the studio. Because again, there is no altruism in Hollywood, and so you need to legally force them to do it, which is ridiculous that it comes to that point, but it's because, you know, there's a pool of people that the, the, the studios consider to be viable as directors. And obviously there's an enormous pool of men and there's a tiny pool of women. It doesn't mean there's not women directors, there's a lot of women directors, but they are not giving, being given that stamp of being viable to the studios. So then when, you, you know, when you're putting together a movie, you, you don't just go like, I'm just gonna hire whoever. You go, I gotta meet with a bunch of people and I gotta hear their take on this and I gotta make sure we're in sync. So what happens? You go like, okay, we're gonna see all these people. Well, there's eight people over here, the men that we think are good and oh, there's like a woman or two women over here that maybe you know, did a movie that we think is right too. So, all the, so then those people come and pitch their take. The odds are much lower that you're, that you're gonna connect with the two versus out of the pool of eight. And that's what the problem is. I'm not an affirmative action guy or anything. It's like, it's all, you know, it, it, you need the person who has the right creative voice, but you need the pool to be equal so that the, the possibility is equal that you will pull from that pool or that pool. And that's why you need something like this class last lawsuit. You need to get people to just start giving people those opportunities so that then they can prove themselves and fail or succeed on their own. You know, nobody gets a rubber stamp. Nobody should be given a job if they're not worthy of it, but they should be given the opportunity. And that, that's, that's it. but it's gonna, you know, it's a slow attrition of this happening. Are you seeing more women coming up through the ranks doing the second AD or those kind of roles that would get them to the... Yeah, I mean, there, there's always been, I mean, you know, there, there's always... There's a lot of women working in crews and all that. That's what's, what's great. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that those... I, I don't, I, you don't know what people's ambitions are. And, and I know first and second ADs who don't want to direct. And I know others who desperately want to direct. But it's, it's really... It's more about who is driven to do it, who and who is just going to blast through with that ambition to make it happen. Those are the people you want to get the opportunity because, you know, it's like, it, it, who's a, I think Sarah Silverman said, like, when somebody comes up to her and says, like, I'm thinking of writing a script, I'm thinking of do this, she's going, like, you're never going to do it. If you're saying I'm thinking about it, you're never going to do it. It's, this industry is driven by, you've got to have such a thick skin and you have to have so much ambition to put, put up with the years of getting knocked down and, and not getting the role and not getting the opportunity. And so, you know, <laughs> but, but once those people, those people get out there, then they need to be given opportunity. We have time for one more question. Um, the first hand I saw was I right hope there. It's a good one. <laughs> In the aisle, a lady. No, could be a lady. Hi, um, my name is Agunda Okeo. Um, I'm a writer and producer here in New York, and um, I actually produced the only all black women comedy show at any of the top clubs in New York City, the comedy clubs. Uh, it's called Sisters of Comedy, and I now just got it at Caroline's on Broadway after working on it for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, Awesome. So um, my, my question, actually, it can be to both of you, but I was thinking uh, with you, Paul, particularly. Um, so uh, what I'm curious about is um, how do you balance between like the art, which is really what I'm just trying to do, and, and then the fact that you do kind of have to, you are pushing an agenda because you're trying to disrupt, you mm -hmm. know? 
So I'm just wondering your perspective on that. Um, I mean, for me, the only political act is the decision to do it. And then after that, I like to drop it because I think anything that has an agenda written in it distances people because it's too preachy and too much, you know. For me, the political act, and it, I, I, I hate to say it was a political act. It was just, it's what I respond to. But putting four women in Ghostbusters, that's it. Now, I'm, you know, that's, that's all the agenda anybody had. It's just like, I have all these funny women. I think they'd be great in this. And then you step away from it. And, and I think it's just, it's really just, the art is the only thing that will carry it. We can make all, that's why, you know, I, look, I'm a comedy guy. And I'm always, like, trying to make, get these female directors to think more about comedy. Because... I just think that's the universal language. If you make people laugh, you can slip anything in you want, but you have to do it very gently and you have to not make it apparent. But people aren't going to go see something because they have to go see it because it's important. Everybody will say they will, they won't. You get those screeners that show up, you know, when you're voting for the Oscars or whatever, and you're like, oh, I hear this is such an important movie. I'm going to watch this later because it's long and it doesn't sound very fun. You know, and look, and that, sadly, that's kind of how people process things. And so I think, you know, what you're doing is awesome because it's funny and, and, it, and it's great and it's an empowering thing. And that has to carry the day. That... It, our only job is to entertain people, and everything else is secondary to that. And when you're entertaining them, then you can make them think and do all that. But if they're not entertained, they're not going to enjoy it. They're not going to come. And and we don't want to make homework. We want to we want to make people have a good time. Because I, you know, I, you never want to put down somebody for you know when people, you know, not, you know, the comedy business were very opinionated and like, oh, let me watch that sitcom. That's so stupid. Who are the dummies that watch that? It's like you know, fuck you. Those these are people. <laughs> That work all day and they come and go, I want to watch something that's just funny and I want something brainless. That's completely valid. There's no problem with that person watching that. So who are we to say, like, screw them? What's nice is to go, like, maybe let's give them something that will make them feel that way that then is a little more elevated or is going to have something more. They're going to learn something. They're going to see people of color and go, like, oh, that's, a, you know, it's not going to be an issue. It's all about normalizing that. You know, for me, it's about with these movies. Guys look, for, throughout history, guys look at a poster with women on it, and they go, like, it's a chick flick. It's a chick flick. But to me, that's the dirtiest term in the world. I hate the term for chick flick because it's an excuse for people to not watch something. And, <laughs> and so it's just about getting it out there. And so they go, like, oh, my God, look at it. I saw that show with, you know, these, these women of color, and they're so funny. Then it's not, in, it becomes less of an issue because someone has gone, like, no, look, it's, it, it's fun. <laughs> So keep doing what you're doing. I think it's awesome. Congrats. On, on that note, I'd like to uh, thank Kate and Paul for coming. And I'd like you all to put your hands together one more time for the Athena Film Festival yeah. leading man, Paul Fee. Kate McKinnon. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go, 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 go stoppers. I'm sorry, we'll do it again. We want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail on our call-in line at 470-242-4742. That's 4702-GBHQIC. We also have a Facebook page. You do? And Twitter accounts. Prince is dead. No kidding. Just give me the address. Search Facebook for... The Ghostbusters. Interdimensional crossroad. On Twitter, look for Troy at Ghostbusters HQ and Chris at Proton Charger. What the hell are you doing?
If you like what you hear, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes. Be sure to recommend us to your friends. That makes good sense. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professional. Once again, our call-in line is 4702-GBHQIC. That'll do it. Thanks very much, Ray. Who you gonna call? Thanks for joining the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossrip. Visit us at ProtonCharging.com, GhostbustersHQ.net, and StillPlayingWithToys.net. They used to be one of my two favorite shows. You're kidding me. Oh, great. What was the other one? Bassmaster. Everything you're doing is bad. I want you to know this. Next week, though, Hairless Cats. <laughs> <laughs>